and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I still write about baseball for The Athletic. And as always, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug, before we introduce this week's very special guest, Sean Doolittle, I, I realized I forgot to add one title for you. You're also the principal of the Glanville School, <laughs> right. right? I believe the campus can be found at your house. <laughs> right. uh, I, I know you got a lot more kids running around your house than most people. So let's give us a report. How's that homeschooling going? Yeah, well, to clarify, I am actually the vice principal because uh, my wife is the principal. Good so, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely work. I'm, I'm in janitorial services. I, I work in a couple of different arenas. Um, yeah, well, the, the, the microwave broke uh, yesterday, the, the handle. So we're going to have to figure out how to pull this off oh, no. uh, in whatever repair. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, and the thing I'm also trying to figure out is can you be truant? And be homeschooled. Is that possible that you could be in trouble for attendance when you're in your own house? You're the vice principal. I'm trying to, I'm weighing this. I, I'm like, well, my son is upstairs. Technically, he's not yeah. really in class. So, and what is class other than some virtual cloud? I, I don't know. So I've been weighing these kinds of things. And as a vice principal, I eventually have to make a decision and start citing these attendance violations that I con <laughs> consistently see. Wow. Crisis shaping up in the Glanville household, should I say, the Glanville school. Yeah, keep us posted on this. this is we'll big. do. We'll yeah. do. Yeah, here at our house, uh, there's no homeschooling going on anymore, but there's definitely a lot of home shopping. I, I, I'm, apparently, my wife has joined the Pro Shoppers Tour. She, <laughs> right. she's, she's, she's mounting an MVP pro shopping campaign as we speak. Uh, and that means there's a, there's more home sanitizing going on than at any point in yes. uh, my history. Uh, I've done more wiping <laughs> these last seven weeks than my windshield wipers. I know that. Uh, the other day, Doug, I reached a new pinnacle of, what's the word? Sanitization. <laughs> yes. We got one container of Lysol wipes Whoa, delivered to our house. I that's... can't say where we got it. Ooh, big time. That's right. It's like winning the lottery, isn't it? Yeah. But I found myself wiping down the Lysol wipes with, right you are, a Lysol wipe. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we are now. That's where we are. All right. Doug, as I mentioned a minute ago, the Nationals cool bullpen philosopher Sean Doolittle will be visiting Starkville this week, which is always a treat. Uh, we'll talk to him about his thoughts and concerns about resuming the season. We'll do a little brainstorming about the future of stuff like high fives and spitting. We'll get his book reading and Netflix picks, plus some 
all important grooming tips for people who don't leave their house for weeks at a time. Okay. And, and also, Doug, if you thought we were through talking Field of Dreams on this show, it's just in. I don't let go. Okay. So I, I hope you have some emergency witnesses standing by because you might need them. Got it? I'm ready. Maybe not. <laughs> all, right. all right. First, Doug, as always, we want to thank all the people who have helped us get through these last seven weeks. That means the doctors, the nurses, the UPS drivers, the supermarket workers. Thanks to all of them. I also want to point out another word for supporting local news. Uh, I have four friends who are super talented who all lost their jobs in the last week. As ad dollars dry up and the future of local news is in peril and at a time when we've never needed it more. So as I keep mentioning... I subscribe digitally now to 10 local newspapers across America, and those papers need our support. So if you can, please subscribe to your local paper. The information that they provide is just so important right now. Uh, all right, finally, this is where we would normally talk about the causes and charities we're supporting these days. But this week... We are bringing in our special Starkville tourist, Sean Doolittle, to do that. Now, the Starks give regularly to World Central Kitchen, which is doing incredible work. Sean Doolittle, <clears throat> Sean Doolittle such a strong and beautiful supporter of World Central Kitchen and Chef Jose Andres. So I thought it would be the perfect occasion to let him talk about that. So, Sean, I want to welcome you to Starkville. We'll get into the chit-chat portion of our show shortly. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about World Central Kitchen and the work they're doing, some of it right there in Nationals Park, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, what's up, guys? I'm super excited to be here, um, and uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, and uh, before we get into World Central Kitchen, I, I do have to say, uh, full disclosure, I am a huge uh, Chef Jose Andres fan, my wife and I. Are, are huge fans of his. Um, he has a lot of ties to DC. Um, and when in 2017, when my wife and I uh, eloped and got married on an off day right after the season in DC, <laughs> we celebrated. Um, we celebrated at uh, Oyamel, which is one of his restaurants in downtown DC, and it's one of our favorite spots uh, in the city. And um, it's always uh, a good place to go for a special occasion. Um, so I was super excited when Jose Andres was invited to, uh, Nats park last fall to throw out the first pitch before game five of the world series. And I got to meet him. I got to meet him on the field before the game. And, um, he, he that was something that, that I'll never forget. Um, you know, during the world series run, I got to meet Bill Nye and Jose Andres. So it's like, <laughs> it was like, it, it, you know, it was really, really cool. And, and but, uh, you know, I, I walked up to, uh, Jose Andres before he threw out the first pitch and, and I was trying to tell him how excited I was to meet him because I was a big fan of his and a supporter of world central kitchen. And, uh, he, he, he wasn't really having it. He was all business and he put his hands on my shoulders and he looked me square in the, in the face and gave me a pep talk, uh, on the field before game five. <laughs> and he was like, Hey, we're going to do that. We got to do this thing tonight. He's like, we're going to do it. Right. We're going to do it. 
Um, and, and, and for anybody that knows anything about um, Jose Andres, he's a huge baseball fan, and and uh, um, he's a he's a Nationals fan, and uh, he I, I was fired up, man. Unfortunately, we didn't get it done that night. But for me, that was that was uh, uh, definitely a highlight of a, the whole World Series run. Everything was a blur, but that's one one thing that that does stand out. And I got him to sign a baseball for me that is displayed very prominently on my bookshelf at home, and it's something I'm very proud of. So um, when World Central Kitchen fast forward to uh, 2020, here in the spring of 2020, World Central Kitchen. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know, Chef Jose Andres started World Central Kitchen as a way to respond to uh, crises that that happen all around the world and um, trying to use food as a way to to bring people together and, and to remind us of you know our shared humanity and. Um, I think he does it in a really beautiful way where he gets contributions from the local community and people to volunteer their time to prepare these meals for people who are responding to these tragedies, whether uh, it's a natural disaster or a, a global pandemic. Um, they set up shop in, in a city that's being affected um, in, uh, in the case of DC. They're working out of Nationals Park and uh, we're very proud to, to have him there. Um, in our city, in our ballpark, and um, in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, they set up shop in, in a couple of the baseball stadiums that are on the island. And um, it, it's a really uh, cool reminder of the way that baseball uh, brings people together. And even when there's no games being played, um, baseball still has a role to play in our communities and, and, and in our, in, in our consciousness. And, uh, so I believe he's, they're using Camden yards, I believe in Baltimore as well. Um, so they get, they, they use these facilities to prepare food and then they have drivers that will deliver the food to the frontline health workers who are working, I mean, they're working longer shifts. They're working more frequently um, in some really incredibly stressful and traumatic conditions. Maybe without PPE, um, maybe they're they're uh, having to treat um, patients uh, that have the coronavirus, and um, I, I can't imagine how stressful that is. But by but you know, hopefully by giving them some good food, um, some prepared meals that they can that they can have when they they get off of work it, it it's one less thing that they have to worry about and um there's also a number of people in and around the, the dc area who might be out of work right now uh unsure where their next paycheck is going to come from their their kids are home from school so they can't rely on school lunches um that they in the way that they normally do so uh providing for the community as well um people that that really need uh, some food security so uh, World Central Kitchen um, has done some incredible work uh, throughout this pandemic and uh, in recent years, and we're very, very honored to uh, welcome Jose Andres to Nationals Park. Yeah, the more you hear and read about Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen and the work they do, uh, the more mind-blowing it becomes, at least for me. So we need to thank him for everything he's doing and we need to thank Sean Doolittle for visiting Starkville. Uh, Sean, as you all know, is a great reliever for your World Series champions, the Washington <laughs> Nationals, but so much more. 
You know, he did his post-game interviews after Game 7 of the World Series in Star Wars motif. That's true, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, Sean is fun. He's thoughtful, passionate about so many things in life. So, look, my friend, I know you've traveled the country and you've traveled the world, but you could admit it right here. Traveling to Starkville has to be one of your biggest thrills. I know it is. I'm happy. Right? I'm so happy to be here, man. I finally made it here. Um, I've, <laughs> I've, I've visited a couple times, but only um, only as a spectator um, in, in, a, in a passive role, uh, I guess I should say. Um, so, so now to be uh, here with you guys uh, on the podcast as a guest, this is, uh, this is really cool. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, uh, us too. You know, Jerry Blevins was here a couple weeks ago, so it's yeah. starting to occur to me that for some reason only left-handed relievers <laughs> right. come to Starkville. But <laughs> you know, we're good with that. Hey, you um, don't you don't want just any reliever. You need a you no. need to have lefty relievers. <laughs> yes. Right? You know? They're they're the ones that can keep it interesting and uh, think outside the box <laughs> a little bit. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Works every time. Uh, Okay, Sean, now it's now more than seven weeks since the baseball world stopped spinning. So tell us what you've been doing to to stay well and stay sane and stay in shape since then. So um, we, my wife and I, we decided to stay in Florida uh, when the season got delayed. Um, Initially, we were going to be able to use the uh, spring training facility uh, in West Palm beach to continue our workouts. And for the first, maybe two weeks of the shutdown, maybe three weeks, um, we were able to abide by the CDC guidelines of, of having groups less than 10 people. And we were rotating through in groups of, uh, in groups of four, um, to use the, use the weight room and, and be able to get some work in at the field. And, um, then the, um, I think the local government, the, some of the authorities came in and, and they, they took over the facility to, to use as a testing facility and a treatment facility. Uh, so they shut that down and we've been doing, we've, we've been doing the home workouts. Um, I was able to take some equipment home from the field. So I, I have some stuff here at the house that we can use. Um, I'm in close contact with the national strength coaches and the trainers who are sending, you know, ideas for, for different exercises and, and home workout plans um, to, to be able to stay in shape and, um, I have a net set up in my side yard where I can improvise a throwing program and um, continue to to work on some pitching stuff and uh, try to keep my arm and my body in shape. And uh, it's a little bit weird because you know there's no there's no end date right now that we have to work yeah. back from. Um, so I I likened it to you know kind of what it's like to be a reliever uh, during a game. Sometimes that bullpen phone rings. And they just want you to get ready, and you know they might they might not say <laughs> who you're getting ready for or what situation you might come into. The phone call might just be, "Hey, get ready and stay ready." Um, and uh, that's kind of the life of a reliever. But players everywhere are kind of getting a, a crash course and a little bit of a taste of <laughs> of what that's kind of like. So, um, you know, it, 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 it and then not for anything, it, it's maybe a couple hours every day that um, I can you know, my brain can just focus on baseball stuff. And, um, it, it's probably, uh, good for my mental health as well as anything else. So, um, you know, and also being down here in Florida, the, the weather is pretty nice right now, so we can get outside. I can, um, been doing some, some cardio training on, on a bike and, uh, or taking the dogs for a long walk. Um, just trying to improvise and, and, uh, 
you know, keep each day from running into its, each other and becoming <laughs> Groundhog Day. But um, we're, make, we're making the most of it. Like you said at the top of the show, there are people who are the first responders, the, the healthcare workers, the essential workers. They're making sure that we can stay safe at home. Um, you know, so we're, uh, we're doing okay. That's good to hear. You, you, you know, you mentioned your dogs. Uh, you posted a video <laughs> of you carrying your dog while you're yes. working out. I, here's what I really want to see is the dogs posting video carrying you. <laughs> any, um, any chance of that? I don't know if there's any chance of that. The Our, our, <laughs> our bigger dog, um, so the one I was carrying is Sophia, uh, and she, she weighs about 50 pounds. So it was it was like a really good like workout. I, you know, normally we would be doing sandbag carry or, uh, something with a ket- <laughs> with a kettlebell maybe. And, uh, obviously I didn't have that. So Sophia, uh, stood in for me. She did a great job. Uh, Stella, the, uh, our other dog is, is a little bit bigger. She weighs about 90 pounds. So she, I don't, she might be able to support me. I'm not really sure if she'd be up for it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right, let's stay tuned for that. I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> all right. Let, let's talk about the return of baseball. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm hearing. Uh, it's, it seems to me that MLB is still in wait to see mode, at least for a little while longer. And then I think what seems likely is that at least initially they would start in hubs. It might be the Arizona, Florida, Texas plan that we've heard about. Could be another state or two, could be a different combination of states, um, but that still means keeping everyone involved inside some kind of bubble, at least at the start. Um, I know ideally they think that hopefully that would just be two or three weeks. But I also know that you and your wife, Erin, uh, have expressed some concerns about the challenges in just trying to keep everyone safe under those circumstances. Uh, in fact, I mean, I thought she had some incredibly powerful thoughts about this very topic on HBO Real Sports, the current edition. So tell us how you're looking at this right now uh, as we start to hear more potential options for starting up. Yeah, I I kind of think we're all in, in wait and see mode, um, like you mentioned. And, and I think, um, you know, the, the first thing that that we're going to have to do is to make sure that it's safe for baseball to open up. And, and we're at a time when we're dealing with a novel virus that uh, we've only really known existed for shoot six months, maybe at the most Um, there's still so much about it that we don't know. And um, so player safety, fan safety, uh, workers safety, the people that help us put games on um, it, things, all of that needs to be accounted for. So, um, you know, initially the first steps are going to be making sure that we have ample testing to be able to uh, uh, provide tests frequently enough to really track uh, and see what's going on. But, you know, also for the workers as well, like they have to be included in this. If they're going to be helping us put games on, we have a responsibility to make sure that they are being safe, uh, that they're being cared for the same way that players would be because we can't do anything without them. So um, uh, I think the more that uh, we think through these plans, the more we we realize uh, really what it takes. Um, people are remembering what it takes uh, behind the scenes to put a baseball season on. Uh, so those people need to be included in these plans as well. And 
Um, you know, there's still no treatment for this. There's still, uh, they have some, there's some antiviral treatments that sound like they're in studies, but um, there's no real uh, known treatment for this. Uh, there's just so many things that we're, that we have to think through uh, players or their family members that might have some of these underlying conditions um, that uh, might complicate uh, symptoms of the virus. Uh, what do you do if a player gets sick? Uh, if a player tests positive during one of these scenarios, uh, what do you do? Um, how are you making sure that the people who are um, transporting these players to and from hotels or to and from different cities uh, in the hotels themselves? Like, how do you how do you make sure that that we're taking care of everybody and not further risking their health because they're in a, in a pandemic, there's going to be an inherent risk for infection. Um, even if you're social distancing or going to the grocery store, but when you're trying to put on a baseball season during a pandemic, um, how do you mitigate the risk to a, a level that it's deemed, you know, safe? So, I mean, that's kind of just a long way of saying that, um, we really just don't know yet. I think that's exactly right. I mean, as you just pointed out, I think one thing that people haven't fully comprehended yet is if you're going to do any version of this bubble concept, you're talking about keeping thousands of people inside this bubble, thousands. And I, I know for you, this is personal because you have a, a wife who potentially mm-hmm. would be at risk. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I mean, think about this. It's not we're not just talking about players. We're right. talking about real life concerns for people like you. Yeah. So I mean, um to to give some context, my wife, um, she she has a history of, of respiratory issues and um she has a, acute asthma and um there's been a number of times during her life that uh that asthma has kind of flared up and manifested as as pneumonia and she's had to be hospitalized and um, you know, it, it shouldn't require people disclosing, um, maybe some, some health conditions that they might have. That's kind of a privacy issue, but she wanted, she wanted to shed some light on, um, just how the plans like this might impact players and their families. And, um, you know, they're the, at the end of the day, like it, some of this stuff, these are labor issues. Like what are, what are people doing to keep their employees and their families safe? Um, in some of these scenarios, like I don't think necessarily my wife would be would come with me. Um, but then again, just players having to make that decision kind of speaks to where we're at, um, what kind of gymnastics we have to do to to think about having a baseball season um, and how to put it on. Is it safe for my family to be with me? during a baseball season is a weird question to have to wrestle with when you're trying to think about, uh, going back to work and and playing baseball again. So, um, you know, like I said, what, what happens if, uh, you know, cause so much of the symptoms of the virus and the way that it spreads, it can be, we're talking about people who are maybe asymptomatic and, um, you know, would you be, if you're a player, are you bringing things home to your family that, might uh, put someone in your family at, at serious risk. Um, what, or what happens if a family member gets sick and 
you want to go visit them during the season uh, because they're in the hospital. Like, how do you, how do you focus on what you're supposed to be doing when, when someone in your family, someone that you love has tested positive? Um, I don't know that it, it, those, those, these are all things that we're trying to sort through that we're trying to come to grips with. And um, like I said, there's still a lot that, that we, that we don't know and how we're going to um, really navigate this situation. Yeah. There's just so many ramifications and Doug, I know you've thought a lot about them yourself. Um, why don't, why don't you ask Sean about some of the things that you've been thinking about? Yeah. I mean, Sean, I mean, first, uh, you know, I think back to when you joined my class at university of Pennsylvania at a class on sport and society. And, uh, it was very clear just engaging with you, uh, how much you saw this connection between having a platform as a professional athlete and the possibility of having a positive impact on society and, and sort of that influence you take seriously, your wife, you both are uh, often right there on the front lines, just uh, addressing these issues and seeing sport as an avenue to do so. And so I, I kind of ask in this scenario of, you know, what do you see as the larger possibility of where, what baseball can do and what their role, the game can be as a role to ultimately get on, quote unquote, the the other side of this or help us transition. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you talked about many issues you raised, like food insecurity and 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 labor. And these are these are elements of when you're dealing with collective bargaining and unions and working with uh, ownership that you're always grappling with to create a semblance of equity. And now, you know, you're you're literally in the heart of a pandemic uh, where you're able to uh, have this type of voice. So, so I was curious how you saw or how you'd like to see baseball come back with it and the responsibility they can carry to either shed light or continue to make changes to improve our society. Yeah, I think baseball, I think all sports leagues in general right now have a huge responsibility uh, to kind of set an example uh, during the pandemic. And, um, you know, one thing I think we have to be concerned with as sports leagues, um, this isn't just baseball, is kind of the message that we're sending about where we are just in in the pandemic and our response to it. And um, if we if sports leagues come back, um, how do we do it in a way that's responsible? And how do we do it in a way that doesn't essentially send a message to fans and to uh, the public that, oh, it's safe to go outside again. Like it's, everything is back to normal. You know, look, these guys are playing baseball or these guys are, are you know, sports are back. So everything has returned to normal. And, and then all of a sudden we break um, social distancing measures and we stop, um, you know, home quarantines uh, too soon and you know it, it it spikes again and and it gets out of control um i think that that is um an area that we need to be very aware of um but i think you know baseball participated in an antibody test um i guess that was maybe two or three weeks ago um you know that might be a that might be a way that we could help right now um i think the players uh, that have been have, this kind of speaks to this is going to be a weird sentence, but the players that have been playing the video game, the MLB, the show that have been uh, providing some content, I think has been, has been, uh, I think it's been a, a net positive for sure. Like play, fans get to see players, personalities 
Uh, they get to connect with players during this time. Players are staying home and, and playing video games just like everybody else right now. So, um, you know, that's another just kind of leading by example, um, but still continuing to find you know, innovative ways to try to connect with fans. Um, but I think also, too, like going back to what you said about the labor aspects of this, um, Major League Baseball and, and the Players Association coming together and in any plan that we put forward, we have to be considering the people that help us put on a baseball season, um, the transportation workers, the hotel workers, the stadium workers, the food, uh, the food workers that, you know, provide food, not just for fans, but to the players and the staff. And, um, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's, there's a whole bunch of people behind the scenes that help us put, put games on and, and um, they have to be included in these measures to make sure that they are provided the same protections as players. Um, and I think like um, they've always been essential workers, right? Like whether, whether we're talking about people uh, whether it's food delivery people or um, you know, farm workers who are, uh, you know, picking produce or you know helping grow food and and then transport it so it can be distributed like um they've they've always been essential workers we're just we're now people are now just realizing how essential they really truly are um and for through the narrow lens of baseball those people are like i said the stadium workers the the hotel staff and the the transportation workers that help players and fans get to and from games um, so those people, we have to make sure that we're protecting those people the same way we're protecting players and staff and, and their families. Yeah. I, like you guys, I have a lot of questions about how this is going to work. Uh, let, let me ask you one more serious question that will lighten up here. Uh, this is a big question people keep asking me, and that is what happens if you start playing again and then somebody gets sick? Maybe five players on one team get sick. Maybe a big star gets sick. I mean, my fear is, all right, if the bus driver gets sick, we play on. Maybe even if the utility infielder gets sick, we play on. But if it's the guy leading the league in homers who gets sick, I can hear the voices right now saying, well, we got to stop. We can't keep playing. Um, What do you think would and should happen under that scenario? that's a question that we still don't have a lot of answers to. And it, um, it shouldn't take us necessarily putting a value judgment on a person, uh, who gets sick and, and putting that value judgment on a person based on how good they are at baseball to really like determine our response to it. Um, the idea of a union obviously being that every voice in the union should count the same, whether it's a uh, major league baseball players association or, um, a, you know, a local labor union. Um, it, that, that's the idea of the, of a union, but the, I think the fear or the concern I should say amongst players is like, we've, we've all seen the way like a common cold goes through a clubhouse or a stomach bug goes through a clubhouse. Um, and we're in such close proximity. It's impossible to enforce social distancing measures in a clubhouse when you're trying to play uh, a, a major league baseball season and prepare for games. So um, 
even if we're testing frequently, um, how how long do those results take to come back? And in that time period, has the virus spread to another player? Or has that player maybe maybe he has it and but he's asymptomatic? Does he spread it to a teammate or a family member or a staff member or somebody at the hotel? Um, I don't know what you do, and and I don't. I, I've seen reports that say if somebody gets sick, um, we wouldn't need to shut everything down, and the, the CDC said we might be able to continue to play, and 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 I mean that would be great. But like at a time when we still don't have a vaccine or any effective antiviral treatments, um, I don't know that that that's definitely a concern that we have um, because even if eighty percent of the cases they say are are mild, but if twenty percent you know require hospitalization and possibly ventilators, and um, it can start to get really serious, especially if that person has. Uh, one of these underlying conditions. And I, I mean, people like to think of major league baseball players as being, you know, elite athletes, but like there, there's a number of guys in the league that might have these underlying conditions and, and, and it, it, it shouldn't take them disclosing private, you know, personal information like that. Um, we need to be thinking of these things behind the scenes and, and, and doing it confidentially and, and letting players, uh, you know, voice concerns. And that's uh, kind of what we're doing right now. We try to, we try to navigate this. Yeah. You brought up social distancing and, you know, Doug and I have been talking about this, uh, trying to imagine social distancing in any form <laughs> in during a baseball season or a baseball game it's hard, right? So, like, let's start talking about how weird life's going to be on the mm-hmm. other side. Uh, you know, Sean, you're a creative thinker. Doug's a creative thinker. And then there's me. I don't know how we describe my thinking. <laughs> Let, let's all get our whacked out brains together and think about how baseball and baseball players are going to need to evolve in the next universe. So I want to start with a high five because I had a player say to me a week or so ago, he said, the high five is dead, man. It's dead, <laughs> right? We got to start thinking of something else. And that is so crazy to try to get through your brain because they're like, how many high fives are there every day in baseball? There must be like 900. <laughs> okay. So, Sean, first question, is the high five really <laughs> dead? And if it is, what takes its place? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Um, I, yeah, the high five, the high five might be dead. Um, oh no. I don't know though. I, I shoot. I, maybe with like batting gloves on, you could do it. Um, or if a, uh, I don't know. Um, Glenn, yeah, Glenn, the answers are hard. Glenn Burke and Dusty Baker, uh, they gave us the high five and, um, I hope this isn't the end of it, uh, because it's, it's awesome. But like, I really don't know what you do. And then I don't know what takes the place of it. Um, like, I don't know if there's like, like fist bumps. I don't know. That still might be a little bit too much contact for some people. Yeah. So now we're talking about elbow bumps. Um, or are we talking about like, maybe like a foot tap, um, glove, t- <laughs> maybe in baseball, like a, like glove taps, you could like fist bump, but like with your glove or like batters could yeah. batters could like touch like bats like a like a sword tap almost <laughs> right. like um 
uh, I really don't know. Maybe shoot. Maybe like maybe hat tips will come back. Like yeah. like you could like <laughs> like you doff your doff your cap like yeah, at, at right. somebody like when you see them. Like maybe that'll come back. Maybe we'll go old school. You know, I've seen you walking around with your your Star Wars saber lightsaber yeah there you go. maybe all right so because i was thinking about the post-game handshake line oh, maybe mm-hmm. before that uh, the handshake line you hand out lightsabers everybody touches the lightsabers you think that would work i would love that i don't know how many <laughs> how many people would be uh would be into that in the clubhouse but uh um yeah all right I don't, like do we need to carve out whole new rituals on the fly it's a lot of pressure that is a lot of pressure, but I, you've seen the way, you know, some of these handshakes in baseball, how elaborate and how creative that they are. I think we have the minds in the game to really uh, come up with some really <laughs> cool stuff. Um, you know, like the in the dugout before each game, it's like uh, my mind is just blown. Some of the stuff these guys come up with and it's so much fun. So like, I really, I think guys will be able to come up with some, uh, of socially distancing, social distance appropriate uh, <laughs> right. ways to well, still continue to connect. I mean, it's all—it's like a branding opportunity. That's how you have to think of it. You know, because <laughs> you mentioned Dusty Baker, and this is where we are now. They started something, and uh, so I, you know, I think if you coin it. So, for example, if you do a high five but you don't actually make contact, you call it like the fake five or something, or the inviso five. You know, you got you, you know—is it five? It, it, it's all, you know, so it's if you brand it, it could become cool. And like you said, all the handshakes pregame, during the game, uh, people will come up with all kinds of crazy stuff and fun stuff. You could do the jellyfish. I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with the jellyfish, but like you, <laughs> you come in, you come in like you're going to go for a fist bump. So you have your fist closed. And then when you get like maybe six to eight inches away from the other person's fist, you can't, you open up your hand and you do, you, you turn your hand basically into a jellyfish that like floats yes. away from the person. Yes. Um, there you go. People can YouTube it. Um, <laughs> Tommy Malone, Tommy Malone taught, taught it to me, another lefty pitcher. Um, and, and he, he was, he was the best I've ever seen at, at the motion. And uh, every time I would fall for it every time, man. Cause it used to be like a prank. Like you'd go in, for like a fist bump and then all of a sudden the person would like would like whoop like jellyfish like backwards away from you and you were standing there like a like a goofball with your fist out but that might be like the new thing like you go in and once you get like a foot away from the other person like you both just like float backwards i don't know <laughs> i like this i i got a real potential crisis for you i mean you have some experience with this you win the world series what happens? Can you have the dog pile and still socially distance? How would that work? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Well, my first thought uh, would be would the champagne, would the alcohol content in the champagne like be, en- <laughs> be enough to sterilize the environment? Like, because you maybe you just rush. proof. Maybe you just rush right. Yeah. Like you, the CDC maybe could help us out and, um, <laughs> determine the alcohol content that would be most effective uh for you know going back into the clubhouse and spraying something that we could use that would also double as like something that would sanitize the area <laughs> right. um but I, I really don't know like and and you're right like there are practical concerns about social distancing during play, you know trying to put on a season you, you know whether it's the first baseman holding a runner on base but also like um because 
I think people think about like, well, in baseball, you're not in close contact with your opponent the way you might be in basketball or, or football. But like, you know, if a player like licks their hand to get like a better grip on the ball when it comes to them and then they grab the ball and then they throw it and then that person takes the ball and now does he have I don't know like this is these are things we have to think about now that we that we've never thought of before and it's like as like you're thinking through them like there is a part of your brain where you're like am I am I turning into a conspiracy theorist am I going crazy are like my galaxy brain is about to explode I don't know what's 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 real and what I need to be concerned about and what's just my anxiety but like I don't know um yeah, so shoot we're, yeah, there's well, very, and the, there's very duck, little duck. yeah there's very little spitting in baseball so that's not a problem yeah, yeah. i don't we're know like that. we're i mean we are pretty gross like we spit a lot <laughs> and god you know your pitchers you're, you're either blowing on your hand or you're licking your fingers and, and then like you're touching your hat and then you're licking your hand again or like um <laughs> you're spitting you know, there's sunflower seeds flying all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, and I, and I don't know, like, I, I'm not obviously a health expert, but these, it, these seem like potential areas that we'd need to think about and be concerned about. So I don't know how yeah. it's going to look. Hey there, Evil Mayor Cam here to tell you about our friends at Manscaped. If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Doug has been thinking about all this stuff. So oh, yeah. Here, oh, here's yeah. my idea. Why, why don't we have, uh, Doug, uh, you and Sean do a lightning round of some of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean, then you can just react and we'll, we'll try to get through this with our sanity intact. All right. All yeah, right. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to just put on, I'm thinking marketing right here a little bit. So I'm thinking, you know, let me know if this would fly and what your concerns would be. You know, and then we, I'm going to be like five key ideas that I think will revolutionize baseball. I love once it. Once we return. Okay. So first, uh, bringing back mimes. Okay. Mime <laughs> mascot. Okay. That makes sense, right? I mean, the mimes that are out there doing a the little shuffle, not touching anything, white gloves. So what do you think? You think that's going to sell? Like you turn all the mascots into mimes or what do you I, think? 
I like it. I think, well, because most mascots have big mime energy anyway, right? Like yeah. they're not, they're not talking. Um, they're, you know, all of this, their stuff that they're doing, it's all physical comedy, but like a mime, like they don't really need any props. You can put them on the dugouts between innings and they can like do a little, uh, routine and like maybe in the routine they can all they can remind people to like wash their hands and like um, <laughs> you know like he uh, they can you know demonstrate the effectiveness of of gloves um, like you said they have the white gloves um, I think I think there's a huge uh, uh, potential there I I like it bring back moms. all right all right all right good that's I'm putting that in the check column all right my <laughs> next one is. Uh, the use of hand sanitizer. So I am, what do you think about hand sanitizer pump on your glove? And my concern, I have, I do have a concern though. Do you think it would be misused in any way and then become a banned substance? So those are kind of a two part question. <laughs> hey, it. uh, I like the idea of hand sanitizer pump. I was thinking um, something that would like attach to your belt um, where like, <laughs> Um, or shoot, I mean, guys put like bags of sunflower seeds or batting gloves in their back pocket, uh, when they're on defense or when they're out on the field. Um, so I think there's a number of ways, whether it's something on your glove, um, or something that's like attached to your belt, like a, like a cell phone, like holder. (laughs) 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 Um, but uh, I, uh, unfortunately, I think it's it's only a matter of time before um, pitchers would find a way to use it to our advantage. Um, and, and a matter of time, we're talking about ten seconds. A, we're going to let pitchers have a pump full of slime on their belt. A, you, you know what? I would say I would say we we would have to make an exception in, in these times, and you put it on the back of the mound next to the rosin, and I'm sure there's some there. There would be some sort it, it's you know it's for safety and it's for sanitary reasons it's in yeah. the interest of the health of the players and then but i think i think <laughs> there would be a there would be a way to combine uh hand sanitizer with rosin i really think you'd be able to spin the baseball pretty well but hey nice. but hey we got shrinking strike zones we got juice balls we got shorter shorter outfield walls uh you it, you got to give us something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good luck. All right. All right, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your lightning round. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's thumbs up right there. All right. That's good. All right. So, I know, I, of course, seeing your video, animal lover, pets. So, if we're not going to have fans, what do you think of just having a complete animal night as like a theme? You know, you just say, you know, they have dog night, cat night, bring your pets, except there would be actually no pet owners. So you would just have the pets at the game. Uh, you could call it, maybe even go as far as calling it safari night. You could just let the animals roam wild and just, you know, <laughs> that's it. At least you'd have a full audience, you know, you still it. have 50,000 strong. I love It'd just it. be all ba- dogs and cats and birds. Okay. So the idea for um, more animals in the stands and safari night, it kind of reminded me of, was it Charlie Finley who had the menagerie with the athletics um, where they have kangaroos. Yes. Okay. So, and then I was thinking about how, because a number of these plans have baseball resuming in like uh, Arizona or Florida. So spring training locations, and most of them have grass berms in the outfield and you could just have like the animals roaming out there. They got space. um, And I think they, I think they would really like it. And, (laughs) 
Um, but also for us as players, like, like you said, you have the, the stands are full um, for everything we know so far. Uh, dogs um, can't get the virus. Um, at least that's the latest info that we have. And, and who doesn't love dogs? Like I think there should be more dogs in baseball in general. Um, so I think this could really be like an opportunity for us to get more dogs in baseball. I think we could have a bullpen dog. Know that uh, keep, uh, there could be a dog in the dugout. I want I want bat dogs to come back like like they <laughs> right. have in the minor leagues. Um, yeah, bat dog. Yes. So uh, I think it would be great just like for everyone's energy in general. Like dogs have just a way of like calming you down and they keep you nice and relaxed and really chill. So I'm all for any plan that includes more dogs in baseball. All right. I'm going to interrupt again. Uh, we were just trying to figure out what we were going to do about the dog pile. This could be the solution. The dog pile with actual dogs. <laughs> He's like, Hey, wait a minute. What happened? Somebody bit me. What <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the lightning round. Let's go. Oh, yes. Okay. So, you know, we're hearing a lot about the technology and umpires going to sort of like this electronic umpires, uh, maybe robot umps that we hear. What do you think of accelerating this process to include robot umps, especially at home plate? And according to Twitter, uh, a guy, gentleman named Ross McKay tweeted me once and said, well, of course, it's perfect because then you could have Joe Westworld. So I'm just thinking through this, uh, you know, if you if you bring in robot umps, what, what are you thinking about? You mean that? real robots too? Yeah, wow. yes, absolutely, yes. Bat, yes. Batter catcher, actual robot. Yes. Okay. Joe, that's right. Joe Westworld, by the way, it's just great wordplay. <laughs> like yeah. that's really impressive. Um, I don't, you know, I don't. I go back and forth on robot umps. Um, like part of me as a pitcher, I think I would like it because I think the, the advantage would go to the pitcher. Um, because now you're, you're really getting the, the, the high strike would be called more consistently, which would be great for me. I'd throw a lot of fastballs up in the zone, but then I think about guys that have this nasty breaking stuff, break, you know, true 12, six curveballs, and, and, and any breaking ball or off speed pitch that has depth that so oftentimes the catcher looks like he catches it well below the zone, but sometimes it does catch the bottom of the zone. So like I re and uh, oh and 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 obviously like there are so many times during a game where like a pitcher might miss his spot completely to the other side of the plate and the catcher he can't really present it very well to make it look like a strike even though like it might have been in the zone and you hardly ever get those calls because it doesn't look good and like you know you missed your spot by a foot like it still might be a strike technically but like some you don't always get those calls i think the advantage would go way to the way to the pitcher and and hitters like to say well i just want if i just want a strike to be called a strike no matter where it is <laughs> and like they don't I, I, and i'm like i'm like i really think your opinion would change very quickly on this if like all of a sudden you know like Max Scherzer is able to throw a curveball that basically hits the ground right behind home plate, but technically <laughs> right. catches the bottom of the zone and gets called a strike on you. Or like, I don't think you would be like, okay with that for very long. Like, ah, and, and then like the pitchers that, you know, there still are pitchers in our game that, um, 
it's it's kind of like a lost art just this art of pitching where it's like walking the strike zone out of the outside corner just a little bit over the course of the game um we have a lot of power pitchers in the game now that just attack and their stuff is just so nasty that they're able to rack up strikeouts uh just purely based on raw stuff and how nasty they are but like you you would miss a little bit of that like getting a call and, and, and stealing a strike every once in a while would you miss that? Uh, would you miss at the end of the day? Like that's the art of pitching. Would, would, would that get lost? I really don't know. Um, so I, I don't know where I fall on robot umpires, but Joe Westworld is an, an incredible, <laughs> an incredible wordplay that uh, I'm extremely here for. <laughs> but, but if there was an actual robot, like leaning right. against the couch. Oh, you want to have like a, like a Jetsons what? robot. I do. Oh, I man. Plan. Oh, man. See, that's like a little dystopian for me. Like, <laughs> like anytime we have robots taking human jobs, um, even if it's umpires, I know like I'm not supposed to, as a player, I'm not supposed to defend umpires. But like anytime we have robots taking human <laughs> jobs, that makes me cringe. And I, I don't I don't want to see that. Yeah. Well, there'd be an umpire back there too. You'd have a batter, <laughs> yeah. catcher, We'd robot ump, actual ump. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big. I'm actually. I I know he takes a lot of heat. I'm actually a big Joe West fan. He it, just the uh, conversations I've had with him over the years. Uh, so yeah, I 100% agree with that. But yeah, you can have both maybe, uh, and you know, have some fun with the technology at the same time. So. Uh, <laughs> So uh, but now my final point, actually, I taken it from our earlier conversation, and this is just sort of a marketing suggestion. I'm wearing my marketing hat today. So you said you uh, game five, Bill Nye, the space guy, yes, and and Jose Andres, uh, the World Kitchen, mm-hmm. okay, so World Central Kitchen. So I think there's an opportunity for you to go back to those gentlemen and create space food for the NASA program. <laughs> Okay, so there's wow. your opportunity. Take that back to Jose. Go to Bill and just be like, wow. you guys got to collaborate and come up with gourmet space food. Oh, my gosh. I, That's the future. We, I love it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good. You, you okay. pass. I like yeah, it. Sounds like some ideas are going to go through, Jay. Sounds I like love it. I love it. That was a good lightning round, Doug. Very good. Um, that was great. I got one more from me on, on this. Um, okay, if there are no people in the seats... I'm assuming they really would not allow dogs to run wild in the park. So do you have any ideas for what could fill those seats? Like I'm sure you've, you've seen the videos from Taiwan, uh-huh. and the cardboard cutouts, the robots. We, we could ask your friend R2D2. What, would, what, would, what should we put in the seats? Um, I don't know. I would like to see something in the seats. I think whether it's like – Card, cardboard cutouts or like maybe to keep it like real maybe that's a situation where you could have um robots and maybe they would have like a screen and just to keep things like it would normally be during a season you could have people that would like tweet things that and it would show up like on the screens so, <laughs> so, like good. you could still get heckled or like your fans could still su- <laughs> support you like people yes. could still talk trash and like you you could still get the hot takes from fans like during the game um i, love it. I don't great. know there would have to be some sort of moderator i would assume <laughs> yeah, uh, good but, plan. but like that way fans could still feel like they're able to get their money's worth when they're watching the games <laughs> 
It's yeah. very important. <laughs> well, you, I'm all for you this. Know, well, when you think about the holograms, right, from Star, Star oh, Wars. Oh, there you go. You know? You can have like a, I mean, I'm sure it'd be expensive to, you know, just have hologram fans and, yeah. and you'd have to like watch out of, you know, you don't want any like middle fingers flashed by robots and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, maybe like Star Trekian kind of thing. I don't. Look, Roy Orbison did a whole tour last year, right? Yes. Uh, and it was, it, he, he wasn't really there. No. T- it was Tupac all holograms. And, right. All that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in there. Everybody remembers, you know, Tupac's performance from Coachella. Uh, a yes. few years ago, but like, yeah. so maybe the tech is the technology there where you could have hologram fans. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay, I'm in. I'm in <laughs> all right. Before we, uh, before we go, and we need some all important Sean Doolittle sage advice, um, how to survive never leaving your house. <laughs> this, is, this is really the Obi Sean Kenobi sage advice. Now that I think about it. So, uh, first off, uh, you read more than anybody I know. So what have you read lately that's just awesome that could help people kill some time? Okay, so I finally um, dived into some books that I had been maybe putting off and procrastinating a little bit because they were a little bit longer. They'd been on my shelf for a while and you know they were they were taunting me and I'd during the quarantine, I, I no longer had an excuse. I was like, I have time, you know, like, um, my wife keeps joking that, um, this time for me has been like the twilight zone episode called time enough at last. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but this guy basically, um, he finally, there's been like a, there's like a nuclear Holocaust and, and, and he survives it. And he, 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 because he, he was like locked in a bank vault when, the like the nuclear attack went off so he survives it and he finally has time to read all of his books um (laughs) but then uh when he sits down to crack open his book his glasses falls off his glasses fall off and he breaks his glasses so he now he has all this time and he can't read his book (laughs) oh no henry bemis is his name and and my wife said i have big henry bemis energy right now um (laughs) so i i read um, there are two books in the King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss, and the third book has not come out yet. Um, he's been working on it for a few years, um, but the first book is called uh, The Name of the Wind, um, and the second book is called A Wise Man's Fear. And in the fantasy fiction genre that I like to nerd out in, um, these books are kind of considered to be like classics, like modern classics of the genre. And, and uh, like the first one's like 600 pages. The second one's like a thousand pages. Um, so they're, they're long, but um, once I got, once I started reading the first one, you know, every book takes maybe 50 pages or so to really, you, you really start to connect with the way the author writes and just the vibe of the book and the structure of it and everything. But, and, and so once I got into it, man, it did, they didn't feel that long. Um, and, and they have shorter chapters, so they're kind of broken up, uh, really nicely. So you feel like you're making progress and tearing through them. But, um, even if you don't like fantasy, just the way that they're written, um, if you're not really familiar with the genre, um, I, I highly recommend people check them out. Um, they will, they will take up a, a, a decent chunk of your time and give you something to do because they're longer, but they were, they were really, really incredible books. Um, and then, uh, so name of the wind and a uh, wise man's fear by Patrick Rothfuss, uh, are really, 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 really good. 
Um, I've also, I, I also just finished uh, N.K. Jemison's new book, The City We Became. Um, for anybody that has followed me on, on social media and heard me talk about books, uh, I am a huge N.K. Jemison fan. Um, and her new book is what she, uh, she called it her love letter to New York City. Uh, where she where she lives, uh, and for me, um, obviously, I'm I'm not a New Yorker. I don't live there, but it's it's one of my favorite cities to visit on the road, and and I, I love exploring it. Um, I I feel I I feel a connection there. Um, I, I I love I love being in New York, and and um, so if anybody's ever visited there, or shoot, live there, felt any sort of connection to the city. It is a fantasy book, but it's set in modern day New York City. Um, and the way it's written is just incredibly beautiful and powerful. And uh, I highly urge people to check out that book or any of N.K. Jemison's other books. Her Broken Earth trilogy is absolutely incredible as well. So um, it's been fun to explore. Wow, those are great. Uh, a Wise Man's Fear. I thought that was Glanville's autobiography. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Um, all right. We need your best Netflix pick. Uh, we had Terry Francona here a couple weeks ago. He recommended Money Heist. Okay. Started watching that. It is fantastic. <laughs> I Can't stop. That. Can't stop. So you have a, you have a Netflix show for us? Um, I just finished uh, the new season of the last kingdom. Um, Ooh, good, good show. I really liked it. I really liked it. And, um, so for people that don't know, this is set in, um, in, well, what is now England. Um, but it's set in like the, I want to say it's like the year, like 900 to a thousand, maybe actually even before that, like, England doesn't exist yet. Like there's yeah, still it's a little bit before. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. I'll defer. I'll, I will always defer to uh, <laughs> Doug on anything that requires intelligence. Um, <laughs> but usually I, I went to UVA. So normally I can, I, that's like a feather in my cap, but I, you know, pen is next level. So, um, but if anybody was into like, I, I originally stumbled upon it cause I was like missing game of Thrones. So like for people that want something that looks like it's set, you know, in the middle ages or like a really long time ago, there's cool action scenes. Um, there is some, uh, historical fiction there. I didn't, yes. I didn't know this, but it's set like it's based on this book series called the last kingdom, which, um, and there's like, there's like 15 books. So like, unlike game of Thrones where fans are still waiting on, um, the last books to be written, uh, last kingdom. I don't think it'll ever run out of content, but, um, I really liked it. I think people should check it out. Yeah. The Uhtred, Uhtred from Uhtred, Uhtred, they say Uhtred like 12 times in the intro. Yeah, he does. The, yeah, so, he Uhtred, does. Uhtred, Uhtred, Uhtred. <laughs> yeah. So it's not about Michael Jordan. No, it's a good one. <laughs> this will help you get between, this will help you fill the time between new episodes of the last dance. Yeah. Yes. I was going to ask you some grooming tips, but I think Doug has a much more pressing need to ask you about that, right, Doug? Yeah. Well, I was I was just trying to find out if you see your beard and your hair as a single organism or like a single entity and how you approach it. Because I am working on what I call the triple Gumby haircut because <laughs> I'm not t 
touching it and it's sloping in various directions that I have absolutely no control over. So I'm just letting it go because we're doing a podcast. Nobody can see me, but uh, I'm not sure how long this is going to last here. So I could use some, some sage advice there. Um, well, what I, I'll tell you what I did. My approach to the pandemic was um, like the day that our season got delayed. I trimmed my beard like really short, like the shortest I've had it in a while. So, and I'm just going to let it go during um, the rest of the quarantine uh, and that'll be the way that's kind of how I'm like tracking time. Um, so it's like the longer my beard gets, like the more, uh, the longer this has, this is going on. And then for like my, my hair itself, like I have a relatively low maintenance haircut. Like I kind of, I have the mohawk going right now. It was something that we started rocking. Uh, a few guys on the team started rocking last September as we headed into our, our playoff push and, and throughout the postseason. And um, so I, I grew it back out uh, to get ready for spring training to bring it back for 2020. And um, it's been it's relatively easy um, for my wife to she's given me, I think, three haircuts so far during uh, social distancing. So nice. uh, she takes the, the, the buzzer, the clippers to the sides of it. We're letting the top just kind of go and do its own thing right now. Um, so it's a little bit of a mess, but I'm down here in Florida. So there really are no rules when it comes to uh, literally anything. So, um, uh, you know, then like you said, most of the stuff we're doing is uh, on uh, podcasts and stuff like that. So nobody really knows. There's no wrong way, okay, during the pandemic. Yes. We, all, we're all, we all have to figure it out for ourselves. And um, I've actually gotten this question a couple times, which I guess I, I appreciate, but, like, I also don't have, like, an easy answer. Yeah. I, I, the, you know, I had a beard for years, and, it like, it, it felt like if you don't – if you just let it grow, it turns into one of those bamboo forests that <laughs> takes over your, your face, your neighborhood, then your whole town. It's Eventually gross. you got to step in and take charge, don't you? Yeah, it's gross. I have to keep the, I have to keep the mustache part trimmed, especially, um, just, it just makes eating and drinking like so much, so much easier and, and, and more sanitary. And, and, um, but other than that, like I keep, you know, keep the neckline, uh, trimmed somewhat underneath and, and, um, try to line it up. I try to line it up every once in a while so it doesn't get too unruly. But as far as like the length of it right now, I'm just letting it go. Um, it's actually, you know, it's only been, it's been, what'd you say? Seven weeks, seven weeks. So my, the beard doesn't grow that fast. So like right now it's not that long. It doesn't really look, uh, too disheveled. So, um, it's still, there's still room for growth in there. <laughs> okay. yeah, and I, and I had, I had, I have two extremes of hair experiences. One was, I let my hair grow until my helmet went from seven and three eighths to eight in Texas. <laughs> Dusty Baker was offended at a certain point because I didn't actually comb it. And uh, he said, you either twist it, braid it, or cut it. So I had to cut it because I didn't want to deal with, you know, eight hours of twists. So that was that. So, but I, I got some some street cred when I had that fro and my helmet was falling off like Oscar Gamble. Uh, but But then I played in the Cape in 1990, Cape Cod Baseball League. Uh, where Mike Matheny, by the way, won the home run derby. Uh, and I played in the Cape. And 
I uh, had a friend on the team who was my hair salon. He's like, yeah, man, I could cut it. I'm like, okay, cool. And I ended up with like four different patches of hair. <laughs> and so I told him to cut it completely off, just cut it off. And as a return favor, I cut his hair. So that was the only time in my life I was bald. I was actually bald in Cape Cod for a matter of weeks. And I don't think either really worked for me, but I did experiment. And as you've mentioned, you know, no rules apply at this time. So <laughs> I'm going to rock my triple Gumby and just go with it. The triple Gumby. I like that. <laughs> the Mohawks kind of a compromise between being bald and having the fro. Right. right this is true. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a solution. Who the heck knows? Hey, maybe by the end of this, I'll, I'll, my hair will look like Uhtred from Last Kingdom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for, for anybody that's watched the show, he's, he's kind of got, he kind it's, it has, a little bit of a mohawk, like the sides are like shaved almost completely to the skin, but the top middle part is really long and he's able to like throw it into like a ponytail in some scenes when he's getting ready yeah. to fight, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's not like a man bun. It's way cooler than a man bun. Yeah, totally. Um, yes. <laughs> so he's he's awesome. So maybe by the end of it I'll have uh I'll have a, a cool Uhtred haircut. Yes, wow. yes. <laughs> all right. Well we're all gonna check that out. But uh Hey, we could talk to Sean Doolittle all day and all night about a million things. But you know what, Sean? I know your dog wants to post some videos with you. <laughs> so I think we should let you run. But thank you so much. It was a, a pleasure to have you. We owe you a Starkville key to the city or something. You're welcome yeah. back here anytime. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys having me. I, I really do. This was a lot of fun. And, and I know uh, maybe the beginning – part of the podcast. I, I hope the tone wasn't too pessimistic. We really want baseball to come back. Um, there's just, there's a lot of things we have to sort through, but players everywhere are, are staying ready in hopes that we can safely resume at some point this year. Um, everybody's, you know, at this point is cautiously optimistic and, um, you know, we recognize the role that we would have as far as, uh, you know, providing maybe some inspiration and, and, and helping people uh, pr maybe provide a healthy distraction for some people. We just have to make sure that we do it safely and responsibly. So we're going to keep working on and finding ways to maybe do that uh, at some point this year. And, um, you know, fingers crossed, but we're looking forward to getting back on the field. Yeah, amen. We're all right there with you, man. Absolutely. And, uh, look forward to seeing you at an actual ballpark. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so special when it comes back. Um, you know, in whatever, in whatever version, um, whatever plan, whatever, however it comes back, it's going to be so special when it comes back. And, and I can't wait. Everything yeah, really well, Sean, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you guys. Dag, it's time for that moment you've been waiting for. It's the portion of the podcast. We look forward to every week. Listener trivia. It's our way of involving our favorite listeners in this show. We'll tell you all how that works shortly. But here comes this week's question. It comes from a guy who on Twitter calls himself Johnny Ringo, but that's not his name. That's a, that was an old West cowboy. I'm guessing Bruce Bochy knows all about him. Uh, but his Twitter handle is at Jason, so J-A-S-O-N-M-C, and a bunch of numbers, three, two, I'm sorry, three, nine, two, nine, zero, three, six, oh two. John, let's just call him Johnny Ringo. Yes. <laughs> but here's true. what he asks. What player 
led Major League Baseball during the 1990s in hits and doubles. And I like this question because it was from Doug Glanville Zara. And yeah. I love talking about Doug Glanville Zara. I also liked it because I, once I thought about it for a few minutes, I was pretty sure I knew the answer. In fact, I'm so sure that I'm going to let you guess first, Doug, because this is right in your wheelhouse. What player led baseball in hits and doubles in the 90s? Whew. Yeah, well, usually I have a, a blind spot of the time I actually played, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking when I think of doubles and, and just consistent hits, it's someone like Albert Bell. You know, Bell just 52 doubles, 50 home runs. He just seemed to rake up doubles and hits. So and I, I think he had 200 hits in a season. I don't know if he did, but he certainly always flirted with it. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Albert Bell. Wait, that's your guess, Albert Bell. Yeah. I, I think the answer is actually a guy you played with. I think Ooh. the answer is a guy named Mark Grace, because I recall this question as Ooh. the 90s were ending. So that's yeah. my answer. I like Mark it. Grace. I think that's let's, a good guess. I like let's it. Let's call in the mayor. Yeah. Jason, awesome work. No reason to waste time. Mark Grace is the correct answer for this week's All listener right. trivia. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I like it. Nice. I like when I get it right. I, Craig Biggio was a guy I thought about a lot too, but Ooh, yeah, I remember the whole Mark Grace thing. And Doug, as I mentioned, uh, you play with Mark Grace. You work with him now at Marquee, the new Cubs network. I had a thought. Like, is it okay if we listen to a fun Mark Grace highlight from opening day 1996? Let's do that. Ooh. Here is Mark Grace, who was robbed of an RBI. Now you have to bring the infield in. You have to bring the outfield in. And it makes it fairly easy to hit. And Grace, with the bases loaded, a career 400 hitter. With a single to left, and the Cubs have won the season's opener before a capacity crowd of almost 39,000 paid. Oh my God, I got chills. Yeah, it had nothing wow. to do with Mark Grace. Yeah, Harry, <laughs> man. Harry Carey, Ugh. Cubs win. Cubs win. Oh my God, that was awesome. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a great hitter. He really was a great hitter. He, yeah. But you yeah. must have a favorite Mark Grace story, right? Oh, man. It, I mean, there's so many. I mean, Mark, well, I, I always loved his banter with Sean Dunstan, actually. They they got into very honest debates all the time. Uh, but but uh, so I learned a lot, actually, listening to them. Uh, but there, there's so many stories. I always talk about how we, uh, one spring training, we're playing the Mariners, and Edgar Martinez was coming up to plate, uh, to bat. And, uh, and, and uh, he was always yelling on, from first, I could hear it in the outfield. He'd yell at Steve Troxel for going too slow, you know, whatever. He'd just be, yeah, come on. So, uh, so we hear, uh, so Martinez gets up and, you know, this guy's a phenomenal hitter. And he just yells, I, I think Troxel might have been pitching then too. He said, just throw it down the right field line. Don't even bother pitching. Just throw it down the right field line. <laughs> so, so he, he just did not care. He was so, um, free, free spirited. And but you could tell in that sort of looseness, he actually loved baseball. Uh, one trick he talked about, you talk about stealing signs, is he would tell us how he would look down on day games uh, when we played at Wrigley Field and see the shadow cast by the catcher to see where he was set up. 
I mean, that's how that's where he kind of went. And he was just a smart, uh, really underrated hitter, uh, hit for average, and, and kind of had a natural gift. He, he bare hand, no batting gloves, just kind of roll out of bed and hit, and uh, and use the entire field. And when he needed to, he'd kind of yank his get his his doubles here and there. Clearly, he got a lot of them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he was he was a great team. I learned a lot from him because he he kept it real. He just kept it real every day, and didn't get caught up in all the the nonsense. He just was uh, really and I and you know one thing opening day and the next year after that ninety uh, six and ninety seven, I was uh, lining up on the third baseline in Florida, and I said, hey man, do you still get nervous? Because it was my first full season. And he said, yeah, man, it doesn't matter. They're like pterodactyls flying around in my stomach right now. I still get it, no matter how, how many years, and it means I still love it, and it means I still care. So, yeah, Gracie was great. Great teammate. Yeah, that true baseball character, too. Uh, yep. Fun guy to be around. All right, before we go, we have a couple things we need to get to quick. One is uh, the video that you posted the other day. This was you hitting against Jim Bouton in <laughs> right. uh, 1989, so you were 18 and he was 50. Yes. Uh, it didn't end that well for you. What no. was going on in this video? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a town, Little Ferry, which is where Teterboro Airport is in New Jersey. So it was a very good lead. The Met League had, it was the first time I had a full season with, with wood bats. Since like Little League, I use wood bats in, in minor leagues of Little League, actually. But uh, we use wood and I learned how to use wood through this league. Great league, very competitive. A lot of players who were in the minors, and Bowden played in this league. And I knew him a little bit because he came to my high school a couple times to coach and you know taught us a couple pitches, things like that. And uh, my dad was a physician, and he had an uh, office in the same office building. So I knew him a little bit, big league chew and all that. And my brother went to school with his, his son. So um, so at one point, <clears throat> we, we faced Bowden. And of course, this is exciting. Like This is a Yankee, and I knew all about him. And he was throwing knuckleballs at that point. So we're playing this game, and... Uh, he throws a knuckleball and I hit an absolute missile right back at him. And he snatches it like Greg Maddox. I mean, like a cat. This guy's 50 and catches it and then doubles off the runner. And I just got to throw the bat aside. And the announcer says, uh, you know, as you know, no, no one run, two hit, whatever he says in the line score. And he says, and a life-saving catch <laughs> by Jim Bout. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it yeah. was fun. So um, I I really appreciated him. So Jim Bouton, rest in peace, man. Ball four, can't forget that legendary book. It was a pioneering moment of a, a player, baseball player turned writer, and and made himself into this uh, iconic figure in in baseball literacy. Really incredible yeah. or literature. You almost, you almost you almost ruined all his future plans. <laughs> almost <laughs> that almost. line drive. But <laughs> yeah. He was up to the task. Uh, all right, one more thing now. I, I, you know, when I think about your Jim Belton at bat, I feel like you should have walked out of a cornfield before you <laughs> headed for the plate. I mention that because we have new breaking Field of Dreams news. <laughs> all right, that's enough. <laughs> That's that a was perfect awesome. 80s breaking news. <laughs> yeah. okay, this, this just in. Uh, our colleague Joe Poznanski is now ripping through his list of the 60 most memorable and joyous baseball moments of all time in the athletic. And guess what just appeared on his list, Doug? Which powerful and definitely not overrated baseball film? <laughs> mm, let me guess. <laughs> Could it be Field of Dreams? <laughs> that is correct. 
Uh, Joe Posnanski wisely ranked Shoeless Joe walking out of the cornfield at number 57 on his list of classic baseball moments. And just to put that in perspective, number 56 was Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak almost ending. Number 55 was the epic final day of the 2011 season. This is the kind of company the great Joe Posnanski places that cornfield moment in Glanville. <laughs> so you tell me, how can this film possibly be overrated? <laughs> well, I mean, I, the iconic nature of it, I will always tip my cap. Um, I think it's, uh, well, I think of something like this. Land of the Lost is a show I liked, and Will Ferrell had a movie uh, that did not do well. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> and there was a couple of iconic moments in that movie, but it did not necessarily... Uh, turn it into an iconic movie in and of itself. So you can have you can have a moment in a movie that is a moment. Shoeless Joe coming out, you know the music, everything. Okay, I tip my cap. So I'll I'll give it its iconic respects. I do wonder what the other fifty six are. Uh, you mentioned a few of them. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to kind of <laughs> see where we end up right here. Wait, you're really comparing? Field of Dreams to that Will Ferrell movie. This is bad. I, I, you know, I'm going to have to think about calling our town hall back into session. Get Jerry Blevins up in the pen. Let's go. Warm him up. <laughs> He's available. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this edition of Starkville. Let's remind you again: Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere podcasts are sold. And in between podcasts, remember to read us at the Athletic website and on the Athletic app. Uh, we also have incredible roster of amazing baseball writers. We have 16 local major league podcasts, and we now have a 90-day free trial going. Just go to theathletic.com slash 90 free days. Also, remember, you too can be part of this podcast. You just need to submit a trivia question that the evil mayor of Starkville, Mayor Cam, decides can make me and Doug look like dopes. <laughs> then we'll get the question wrong, although we didn't this week. Uh, and that question will inspire a fun topic for the podcast. So you can send in your trivia questions via email at starkvilleattheathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can tweet them at us if you want to find Doug Glanville on if you want to find Doug Glanville on Twitter. Doug, where will they find you? Yeah, piece of cake here. Just at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G, G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. All right, and I'm at Jason S T, so you'd be spelling my name, except you stop after the T. J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS, that's Starkville with an E, QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Sean Doolittle for joining us. Thanks to the mayor for verifying my trivia genius. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.